Hi, I'm Karen Farbridge. Welcome to Promethea Rising, a podcast promoting energy-conscious communities. Join me as I talk with good people solving a wicked global problem. I'm pleased to introduce my guests for this episode of Promethea Rising, Tanya Leach. Welcome, Tanya. Thanks very much for having me, Karen. I'm very pleased to be here today. So you're the executive director of Quest, and so perhaps you can tell us a little bit about Quest. How did it get started? And maybe you can give our listeners a little bit of a feel of the type of work that you do across the country, but at the local level with communities. How we got started was really from very much from an energy perspective in that there were a number of associations, I guess we'll call them at the local level. So the Canadian Gas Association, Canadian Electricity Association, and an environmental nonprofit called Pollution Probe, who were generally frustrated that the energy conversation in Canada was solely about supply, where we were going to get the next electron or gigajoule from. And nobody was really talking about the opportunity that was being missed at the local level, the opportunity for the integration of energy services at the local level, um, the opportunity for energy efficiency, et cetera. And so Quest as an organization sort of recognized that and we said, you know, who else has this same kind of concern that that this is not part of the discussion? And we convened a multi-stakeholder group at one event in Ontario in order to just test the waters to see if that was a common issue uh, or common concern. And and lo and behold, we discovered it was. So we then took that same model and replicated in different parts of Canada, each time leaving behind a local network of stakeholders who are interested in continuing the conversation and, and, and looking to better understand and explore what we now call smart energy communities, what that actually looked like. What is the opportunity at the local level? So if we kind of fast forward from there to where we are today, uh, Quest as an organization, we do three main things. We are a convener, so we bring together many different stakeholders from sort of different walks of life and help them understand each other's perspectives. Um, We are an influencer in that we uh, weigh in on policy discussions and otherwise sort of influence uh, various stakeholders to have perhaps take a different approach than the the traditional approach they would take. And we're also an educator. We conduct a fair amount of research in order to answer some of the questions, you know, sort of voids in knowledge that exist out in the marketplace. What are some of the ways that you do this? An example is we operate working groups across Canada. And these working groups are topic-specific outcome-oriented groups. They are actually the evolution of what, of what was those original networks that we brought together in the, in the various provinces where we hosted events. And so these uh, topic-specific outcome-oriented groups are very much about convening and bringing people together, typically people who have similar interests, either around community energy planning, the evolution of the building space, combined heat and power, district energy systems, or just distributed energy resources, more broadly speaking. So we convene them together to help them appreciate different perspectives and and sort of align with each other. We leverage these forums to influence policy directions, making submissions to various governments to try to create a more open marketplace to to a number of these different opportunities. And we also use them as a a bit of an educational forum as well, where there's peer learning happening within those forums as well. So that's one example. Another example is sort of on the project side of the work that we do. And a good example of that is our recently released Smart Energy Communities Benchmark Tool. So this was built off of some previous work that we had done looking at community energy planning 
where we realized that there was a need for communities. And when I say communities, I'm not just talking about municipalities, but the stakeholders that are involved with them in, in sort of energy use, whether that be the energy utilities, energy service providers, the buildings sector, waste, water, transportation systems, et cetera. So all of them kind of all those stakeholders coming together at the community or local level. What we did with the benchmark was we recognized that there was not a very good understanding of what the policies and processes were at that local level that enabled the community to become smarter about its energy use over time. And so this benchmark tool allows or enables through 10 key performance indicators and almost 100 different measures to understand where the strengths and weaknesses are at that community level to help them focus their efforts going forward on things that will actually enable further progress towards being a smart energy community over time. So that gives you two examples of how we convene, we influence, and we educate. Why do smart energy communities matter? I realize that's a big question, so perhaps you can help us understand it in the context of a national dialogue on energy. They really do matter so much more than I think most people really understand. And I think that there's so many different factors that go into it. You know, smart energy communities understand that, yes, we absolutely have to act on climate, but we need climate policy that is based on sound energy policy. I have fond memories, Karen, of, of you when you were the mayor of Guelph having this wonderful graphic of this cup of coffee and all the lines and things that went into the development and how much energy actually went into the production of that cup of coffee with all the wine losses that happened through the electricity system, et cetera. And it's those understandings how energy systems work that is so critical to making sure that we make the right decisions to get to the climate outcomes. We have to understand that systems are really complicated and it's not just about reducing the emissions at the end of the as it were that we have to appreciate where the energy is coming from in the first place and taking a more systematic approach to it the key is that it's at the local level and the fact is that we use energy locally our vulnerabilities to extreme weather events that's all local and so the solutions are also therefore local to a lot of these issues. There are cer certainly solutions all throughout the energy value chain, but a lot of the solutions actually exist at the local level, whether that be distributed energy resources and bringing solar into the system or bringing wind into the system, whether that be making sure that we've got and leveraging the infrastructure, the pipe infrastructure that we have today and allowing it to serve us in that future as well. So there's a number of things that have to go together. It's about climate policy that's based on sound energy policy. It's about remaining open to technological change and not kind of cutting off the opportunity for technological solutions in the future. And it's about maximizing the value of our infrastructure assets as well. And so smart energy communities bring those three elements together and understand how they play in that broader, larger energy space. I think that Canada is actually in a really unique position 
you know, if we use the energy and, and what we've seen through COVID of this coming together, working together to create a better outcome, that's what we need to do with energy in Canada, more broadly speaking. We've done the finger pointing, right? It's whether you're an environmentalist or coming at it from an economic perspective. And it's time that we need to empower everybody to bring their own unique solutions to the table. So no matter where you are in the energy value chain, you have something to offer to a low emission future. And we need to empower everybody in the value chain to do that. Smart energy communities is what is empowering at that local level. What do you find motivates people to get engaged? Is it climate? Is it energy? Is it something else? Or is it a variety of things at a local level? Well, I think the uniqueness of it is that there's many different motivators. Similarly, the, the action that's being taken at the local level has many different motivators as well. We see communities that have just come through some you know, extreme weather event obviously have climate as a high motivator of action. Whereas there's other communities that they have a completely different motivator. Uh, Bridgewater, Nova Scotia is a great example where their main issue is energy poverty with 70% of their population not being able to afford the cost of energy. And so their motivator, their entry point to economic solutions and climate solutions is actually quite different from other communities. And so a big part of kind of what we're doing is making sure that we're exposing where those entry points are and using those entry points to generate a conversation that moves communities forward so they become smarter about energy over time, which has many different benefits such as reduced energy costs. They have greater economic opportunities, more jobs locally. They have the knock-on benefits of uh, potentially cleaner air and cleaner water and other, other sort of knock-on benefits as well. But ultimately, it really does serve us as Canada as a whole, but also down to the local level and, and you know, in communities and Canadians to be taking a smart energy communities approach. So you've been involved for 13 years now. What keeps you inspired to do this work? I would be remiss to say that a big part of my inspiration is the people that I work with. The staff that I have the pleasure of working with on a daily basis are incredibly passionate about what we do, and I certainly draw a lot of energy from them. I also have a very passionate board, and so that is also very inspirational and, and sort of pulls a lot of motivation out of me. And then, you know, if you kind of take a sphere even broader than that, if you just look at everything that's going on across the country right now, even before COVID, there was so much energy that was going into transitioning, the energy transition, dealing with climate change, achieving our climate targets. There's just so much energy and so much, and yes, it's challenging because it's messy, but there's so much opportunity in this space as well. And I think I'm really motivated to play a part in making sure and, and sort of helping Canada move forward in a very pragmatic but effective way. If you reflect back 10, 13 years, what are some of the big differences that you see today compared when you started off doing this work? One of the biggest differences that, that you know, 13 years ago, if you can park your mind back there, you know, this really wasn't even a conversation. And now almost probably month after month or, or, you know, every six months or so, there's just more and more stakeholders coming into this space. You're starting to see business models evolve or utilities trying to evolve their business models. You see new energy service providers coming into the space. You see the building develop asset management sector 
which typically just understood how energy was delivered to their buildings. Now saying, okay, what is our role in this whole energy conversation in procuring energy? So there's just so many more stakeholders that are coming into this space and certainly not all because of Quest, but, um, but I feel you know, we've played a part in bringing that dialogue forward and bringing that recognition forward. And I think, I'm not sure that the table has completely turned, but we're, we're not maybe quite yet at parallel energy or intensity into the dialogue on supply as we are on the demand side. But I feel like those we're getting close. We're getting close to, um, to a point where the demand conversation is either equally important to the supply conversation. We are having this conversation in the middle of a pandemic, and many voices are saying that the economic stimulus funding should be directed towards building a more sustainable future. What are the opportunities that you see? Yes, there's a lot of good energy going into that conversation around making sure that that stimulus money isn't just kind of doing what we've done in the past, but really helps us to move the needle forward as it relates to clean technologies and energy efficiency, retrofitting of buildings, making sure we're enabling electric vehicles, all these other good things. But underlying all of that is making sure if we are going to see the success of that stimulus money to really launch us forward towards those 2050 uh, climate goals, we actually need to leverage this opportunity that sits before us right now to lay the foundations that will allow for that stimulus and the ongoing spending into the energy transition to flourish, to really realize its potential. We don't have the right governance structures at this point in time. We don't in many places have the capacity that is actually needed or the data that is needed or the strategies that are needed to actually see success in 2050. And so while these foundations are sort of not the sexy things, not as shiny and new and as you know, new infrastructure or new technologies are, they are foundational and they're foundational for a reason in that if we don't get those elements right as we go through the putting the stimulus money on the table and this is not just a one tranche thing, this is kind of an ongoing thing. If we don't get the foundations right, we're never going to see the potential and the efficiency of getting to the outcomes that we want to see, whether they be from a climate or from an economic perspective. Is it hard to get people to focus on the foundations? It's so easy, I think, sometimes to you know, look to the, the latest shiny object, the new technology. Yeah, I think difficult is <laughs> the short answer. It's so much easier to jump, I think, from we need to make a change to technologies. So yeah, it's very difficult to actually get that foundational thinking moving first. We need more voices. We need more organizations pointing to these foundations and the need to get solid foundations before we build on them or as we build on them, I guess. I don't think we have enough time to really do these in one after another. It needs to be a bit of an iterative process, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it's really challenging, but I think it's critical. Promethea Rising is dedicated to promoting energy conscious communities, what Quest, I think, would call a smart energy community. So my question is, do we have enough time to grow energy conscious communities by 2050, which is a timeline that the climate scientists have established for us? We have to. I don't think we have a choice, to be quite honest. I'm hoping that this kind of coming together that we're experiencing right now will help us in, in achieving these um, outcomes in 2050, which is really not very far away. 
30 years from now, there's a lot that needs to happen. But if I look back over what's happened just in the past 13 years, I feel optimistic that we can. As our, as our previous chair of Quest used to say, so Michael Harcourt used to say that this is going to be a really messy decade. And I always used to respond by saying, I hope it's only a decade. I think it'll be more than a decade. It's going to be messy, but we will get through it efficiently and more effectively if we come together to get through it than if we continue to point fingers at each other. So I think we have a very short window of opportunity, but I'm optimistic that we have the knowledge, the passion, the energy to get through this in a timely manner so that we are able to meet that 2050 deadline. Well, thank you, Tanya. Thank you very much for having me, Karen. This was a lot of fun.